Hey church, hope you're having a great Sunday so far. I'm Matthew. Easter weekend is next weekend, which means you have seven more days of opportunities to experience the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. If you didn't grab an invite last week, we have more out front. If you're looking for more additional information on our Easter services, we have information about service times, directions, and more about our Fairfax Kids program on our website. Are you new or just want to get to know more about our church? If so, then you're invited to our next welcome party on May 1st. This is a great opportunity for you to meet our church leaders, to learn more about our church history, and to find out how to get involved. So if you're interested, sign up on our website. This week is your last week to sign up for our Global Impact trip to the Dominican Republic. Our team this summer will be heading to a local church and community led by Pastor Juan Santos in Santo Domingo. If you're interested, you can go to our website and apply now. This is also the last week to sign up for our 40-day fill-up project to help restock the Resource Center. So many of you have already participated in this amazing Lenten project, but if you haven't, this is a great, easy project for you and your family or even your small group. So if you want to help out, sign up on our website. Lastly, we want to remind you that next weekend is Easter weekend. We have four services starting at 8 a.m., 9.30, 11, and 12.30 p.m. All services will be in person and online. We can't wait to worship with you that Sunday. See you all then. Good morning, Fairfax. It is so good to be here. Good morning, Fairfax Online. We are so glad to have you with us today. So I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker uh, to you today. Uh, his name is Alan Fuller, but I, I want to give you a little. I want to give you a little bit of the story because there's a story uh, that uh, goes back a long way between Alan and I. So. About 30 years ago, uh, when I was just kind of getting started here at Fairfax, and we were back on Hunt Road, which is about four miles from here, little building on a dead-end street that we couldn't believe that people could even find, and uh, I met uh, a young man that had just graduated from college and uh, got talking to him, and the circumstances in our meeting was really cool. God kind of brought us together and I was just so impressed and could just tell, sometimes you know you can tell just from a conversation that there's someone that you connect to, that you relate to, that you like being around, that they are incredibly intelligent, that they're gifted, all of that. And uh, I asked Alan if he would be willing to come out and do an internship with us at Fairfax. Now we didn't have internships. I didn't even know what an internship was, but it just seemed like a good idea to get someone really talented, really cheap. And so at the point that we were at as a church, like that worked really well. And so Alan came out, uh, it was in the early nineties and uh, spent one year with us as an intern, did all kinds of things, very small church at that point. And you can imagine all the different kind of things that, uh, that an intern would be involved with. And there were three of us on staff and it was just an absolutely incredible year that kind of marked my life in many respects going forward. And uh, from that one year, Alan went on to do amazing, amazing things. He, he, he got his seminary degree. He worked at amazing churches. 
He led amazing churches. Uh, he's an author. He's written a book. Uh, he is a noted speaker, someone who is sought after, an incredible communicator, a thought leader, uh, someone who every time that I'm with, I'm challenged in terms of just how I think through things. And um, this has been a 30-year friendship and a 30-year relationship that has just been a, a gift from God, really, in my life. And so um, to have Alan here this weekend uh, as we lead into Easter and to speak and to be a part of uh, this community that he was a part of 30 years ago is just a really, really special treat. And so would you welcome Alan Fuller to the Fairfax stage? Wow, uh, that was a really nice intro, Rod. Exceptionally nice. Uh, I don't know about the uh, talented part, but the, the cheap part, I can definitely attest to that. Um, but uh, it is a genuine, sincere honor for me to be here today and to hear Rod's uh, over-the-top introduction, for me to be able to be a part of, of this morning, to be with you, uh, to really to stand on this very stage and talk about uh, the cross and talk about the story of Easter is a deep and profound and genuine honor for me today. So I am uh, very glad to be with you. I was only on staff here for a year. I was an intern, as Rod had said, but it was one of the greatest years of my life. Uh, I, I felt a call coming out of college. I felt a call to ministry, to full-time ministry, but not to church ministry. I didn't have a sense of, of wanting to be on a staff at a church. I wanted to you know, travel and do music or do something like that. Uh, but it wasn't until I came to Fairfax Church and connected with this community, with this group, that I saw that church could be highly enjoyable and deeply impactful. I didn't know that those two things could happen at a church. I had never seen anything like that before. So, so I am forever grateful to you, to Fairfax, because it changed the trajectory of my life. I'm not kidding. It shaped my ministry, you know, since then over the past 28 years. And so I'm incredibly thankful for that. And in response, Rod, I am incredibly thankful for you and your leadership and your friendship over a long period of time. Uh, incredibly grateful uh, for that. Uh, I, absolutely, yeah. I did, I did come with a couple small gifts. I came uh, with a couple photos from 28 years ago that you may be interested in here. So this is a picture of me and Rod uh, back 28 years ago. I am, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm a couple inches taller than Rod. And so he preferred in whatever situation to stand on something whenever he had a picture with me. That, see, it's like in our relationship, he brought the intelligence, I brought the height. That's how... That's how things worked when we uh, were together. Here's another picture. This is what I did when I was here. This is in the old building, as Rod said, on Hunt Road. And I led worship, and, and, and Rod had tasked me with the unenviable chore of transitioning a church from reading out of hymns to to singing choruses uh, up on the screen, you know, with words on the screen, with the incredibly stylish and attractive uh, overhead projector that we had in that, that some referred to as the abomination uh, in the room. 
You might, if you look there, the, the woman in the middle singing behind there in the white shirt, that's Loretta Cooper. That's Kyle's wife from years ago uh, that she was on the worship team with me and it was a tremendous experience. So um, uh, I also, Rod and I got to spend some time yesterday. Uh, we uh, walked around for a number of hours Uh, one of, if not the greatest cities in the world. And so I hadn't been to Washington, D.C. in a long time. And we we put on about seven miles walking around. We went to multiple uh, museums and and multiple different uh, monuments and et cetera. It was terrific. One of the places that I had never been before was the Library of Congress right behind the Capitol building. And many of you know that, that in the reading room in the Library of Congress, there are eight pillars that, that identify or that uh, represent eight different areas of, of growth and, and learning there in the Library of Congress. One of those columns is history. And I looked up on a quote, it's from uh, Lord Tennyson. And there's a quote up on that column, and it, it reads this. It reads, uh, I'll help you out if you can't see it. One God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event to which the whole creation moves. I read that and I thought, that's exactly it. There is one God, there is one grand story that we are a part of, that we learn, that we engage with, and we are a part of that story. And that is an an exciting reality. And the divine event that is the center of that story, the divine event that everything prior to it led up to and everything after it flowed from is the event that we will be celebrating next week at Easter. The resurrection of Jesus is the divine event. And what I'm excited about for you all is that you have been preparing for that event. You've been on a journey to the resurrection. And the reason I'm excited about that for you is that some of you have, as a part of the Lent season, you've identified some area of brokenness in your life and you've decided to do something about that area of brokenness. Others of you perhaps made a, had an intention to do something about that, but you forgot about it until right now that I just said that this is Lent. And if that's you, that's okay. It's totally okay because you still have a week to go before you get to Easter. Lent is not about judgment. It's not about shame or guilt or, oh, what, you know, what have you done or what, what struggles do you have? It's about taking any steps we can in the direction of spiritual growth. It's about taking any small, large steps that we can toward the resurrection, toward a transformed life. Now, for any of you who have made any of those steps here in this room, at home, any any steps that you've taken, I'm excited for you because God always blesses faithfulness. That in some way or another, God always blesses faithfulness. You are sitting here today and there's something that you hope, that you desire, that you long for in your life, some way that you hope God will show up. Maybe in a way God never has shown up before. God always blesses faithfulness. We're gonna kind of continue that journey today. And, and as I jump into the message for this morning, I ask, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we start? Father, we are thankful for your promises that you do bless our faithfulness. You bless our efforts, our hearts that say, I I do want more. I I want to grow. I do want freedom. And so in whatever way, God, you are ready to to do your thing in our lives. We want to experience it. 
we, we are faithful here in this moment. We are here. We are online. We are present. We are listening, watching, whatever way. God, we set aside this time because we want to be with you. And we are available and ready for change. God, would you come and do your work in us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Rod and Josh have been taking you on this journey to the resurrection. And it is a story that covers the last eight chapters in the book of Matthew. And it is, it is really just a story that happens in a one-week period between Palm Sunday and Easter. And as Rod has said multiple times throughout this journey, there's a whole lot that happens in that small window of seven days. And so you've been looking at, at those pieces um, uh, in, in that journey. Today, I'm looking at Matthew chapter 27, and it's the story of Jesus' death. And specifically, what I'm going to be looking at is the people who had gathered at the cross. There were a number of different people and a number of brief little stories of people who had gathered at the cross. Who were those people, and how did they respond to this unbelievable moment of Jesus hanging on the cross. And what I want you to do with me as we engage with Matthew chapter 27 is I'm going to ask you to do something that's very difficult. And what makes it difficult is it's just going to be hard for your brain to do this. Imagine as we read Matthew chapter 27, try to pretend that you don't know what happens to Jesus. Try to, try, as we read Matthew chapter 27, pretend you don't know Jesus resurrects three days later. Okay, pretend you don't know that because those who gathered in that moment, they didn't know. His mom didn't know. The disciples didn't know. They had hints from Jesus that really only made sense to us later on, but they did not expect to see Jesus again. So imagine you're there. And if it's Jerusalem, then you're probably Jewish. You're there. You're on a hill that is called the Place of the Skull, named perhaps because on that hill many had been crucified and their bodies and their bones would have been gathered on this, on this area, just a, just a repulsive part of the city, just outside of the city. And as a Jewish person, it's, it's very unnatural for you to be there, to be around these dead bodies and skulls, and that, that would not have been a place where you would have wanted to go. And this is Passover. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a time where you are supposed to be celebrating, but you feel the need to be there at the cross. You feel the need because this man, Jesus, is, is incredibly fascinating to you. And all you've seen is him love people and heal people, and you wanted to see what was gonna happen. So you gather at the cross, and this is what happens in Matthew chapter 27. Imagine you're there, and pretend you don't know what's going to happen to Jesus. Verse 33. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Gall is a bitter and toxic plant. We don't know much about it. We just know that it was nasty. And uh, these, these people, some people, we don't know who they were, but some people had the gall to take this stuff and mix it with wine. And instead of helping Jesus, who's, who's uh, struggling on the cross in so much pain, instead of helping him out with it, makes it a bitter, nasty taste. And Jesus says, I don't even want to have that. Who would do that? Who would do that in that situation? I'm just continuing. Hey, let, me just, let, let me just let you know. I'm just going verse by verse. I'm not jumping around. I'm not pulling these out of a number of different spots. The next verse says, when they had 
um, crucified him. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. This was standard procedure. Casting lots is really like rolling dice, and the idea was to was to determine who was going to get his clothes. This, this was the, those, the fee for the executioners, was to get the clothes of those who had died, and they do it right in front of them while they're dying. And so these executioners were casting lots to see who was going to get it. Maybe they thought Jesus' clothes had value because he had a number of followers, and so maybe these clothes would actually be worth something. Or maybe they, they were just mocking him because Jesus was so poor and his clothes would have been worth very little and maybe they're just kind of mocking him right in front of him while he was hanging on the cross. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews, which is more mockery. We know from elsewhere in this story that Jesus had a crown of thorns put on his head. A crown, because he's the king of the Jews and a purple robe wrapped around him because he's the king of the Jews. All of this in mockery. It's not professional. It's not sophisticated. It's brutal bullying. It's awful. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Ever had somebody just look at you? You don't even say anything. They just look at you and go, That is so condescending. You ever had a teacher do that? Or, I mean, it is so condescending. Body language can be so powerful. Just a movement of the head, just a, a movement of the body somehow. You ever, uh, when you're driving, you ever have somebody, you know, you make a little mistake and somebody does this? You, and you can see through their tinted windows that they're doing this. And, and it's, just so, it's just so aggressive and it's so nasty. You make some little mistake and people respond as if you poured cement into the moonroof. What's going on here? What? Get off my road. <laughs> Body language can be so powerful. Shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. More mocking. These are actually very similar to the words that Satan himself used with Jesus. If you remember or recall the story where Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days, that story is found in Matthew chapter four. And in that story, Satan himself says, if you are the son of God, then show your power. These guys are using the same evil words of Satan. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, these are the religious elite. They mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. These are the religious folks. First of all, what are they doing there? This is Passover. They're supposed to be celebrating God's faithfulness and God's goodness, not mocking him on the cross. And then secondly, it says there that, that they say, hey, we will believe you. If you come on down, we will believe you. No, they wouldn't. They've had plenty of opportunities. They've seen miracle after miracle and healing after healing, and they haven't responded well to Jesus so far. He's, they're not going to respond even if he did come down from the cross. They're not there because they have an open heart and they want to find out, maybe this is true. Maybe I can believe this. They're there to just torment this man. 
And then finally, verse 44, in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. If there's anybody in that scene who should have been able to relate to what Jesus was going through, it was the other criminals who were on the cross next to him. As Jesus was hanging there in in unbelievable pain, literally excruciating pain, these are the ones who should understand that, yet they're the ones still hurling insults at them. When I read Matthew chapter 27, when I read these verses here, I read them in preparation for this morning, I read them, and my thought was, as I read, story after story, section after section after section, my thought was, people are nasty. These people, are, there's a wide variety of people. And we're not talking about, about a busload of criminals who were dumped off uh, at, the, at the foot of the cross for this experience. We're not talking about a, a group of Detroit Red Wing fans that you would expect are going to be obnoxious. We're talking about regular people. Regular people. Religious people. And they're nasty. I, I'm from Canada, and uh, I actually didn't know the word nasty. I came down to the United States, and I learned a few words when I came down here. Uh, uh, I, I, my transition from Canada to the United States came via Indiana. And for me as a Canadian, Indiana was the deep south. I don't know, does that, does that make sense? It did, did for me, because they talk funny in Indiana. And that was, that was kind of a big deal for me. And so uh, the first summer I came down and I came with a friend and we parked at a campsite uh, because we were gonna uh, set up a tent in the campsite. And so I got out of the car and talked to the, to the young lady at the booth there and I went up and she, and the question she asked me, this was in 1993, and the question she asked me was, how many are in your vehicle? And I said, my vehicle? I said, can you hang on one second? I went over to my car, got my buddy Daryl out of the car and said, come here, come here, come here. Got up to the booth and said, can you ask that question again? Go ahead, listen to this. Ask the question again. Vehicle, never heard that multisyllabic word before like that. One of the other new words for me as I was uh, spending some time in Indiana was the word nasty. And that, that word has a snarl to it. I heard people discuss things and refer to things as, oh, it smelled nasty, or it looked nasty, or it tasted nasty. When you say the word nasty, it, it kind of actually shapes your, your face a little bit. It's got kind of a little bit of a snarl to it. The word has a punch. It has a kick. It has a force to it. It's nasty. And the reality is that people are nasty. People can be nasty. When was the last time somebody was nasty to you? Has it happened already today? I don't know about Fairfax Church. I don't, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the church that I pastor in Phoenix. I've heard multiple stories about people who are serving in the parking lot, in the parking uh, assistant area, who would be serving outside, helping people uh, getting in and out of church services, that they would get flipped off multiple times. Again, maybe this is an Arizona thing, but I just, I just I th- am I crazy? Or how could this possibly happen? You're kind of heading into church. The only good news out of it is that there seem to be more birds on the way in than on the way out. And so maybe something good is happening in church, but, but people are nasty. We fall in love and we stand before friends and family and we hold hands and we say, I will love you for better or for worse. And then it doesn't take long 
for us even in that relationship to do something or say something that is nasty. We don't want to. That's not at all what we were thinking when we held hands and said those words before other people when we got married, but it just happens. We want to pull out of it so we read books and we spend money going to a counselors and trying to learn different ha habits, et cetera, on how to do that better. And we watch romantic comedies because maybe we'll learn something there. We go to church and we listen to a whole series about marriage to find out what does God say about these relationships because we really want to pull out of that. But people are nasty. Jesus didn't come to save a world that was nearly perfect. Fairfax Church doesn't exist because the people of Fairfax County are nearly perfect and they just need some kind of organization that can help them nudge right across the line into perfection. That's not why we're here. That's not, that's not what this is all about. What we read here and 2,000 years later is that people are nasty. And let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you something. Bring it in a little closer. Bring it a little closer. Lean in a little bit. Those of you at home, lean in, get a little closer to the screen. Okay, people are nasty. And so are you. <laughs> and so am I. You see, see this, this again, these are not a, a, a busload of criminals here. And for, in order for us to understand the journey to the cross, in order for us to, to understand what Easter means, it is critical that we understand our brokenness and our need for the celebration of Easter and what Jesus did. We need to, to you know, when, when you read Matthew chapter 27, what characters do you identify with? This is a really important question in any area of scripture. Any scripture that you're reading, any story, any parable, you read it and then you ask yourself, who am I in this story? If you find yourself reading parables consistently and thinking that you are the Jesus character or the king or the glorious one in, in every story that you read, you might wanna read it again. It is critical to read it and say, who am I in this story? There's a story deep in the Old Testament about King David. Many of you, you all know King David. He's the slingshot Goliath guy, boink. David made some nasty mistakes later on in his life while he was king. He ended up having an affair with Bathsheba and he killed her husband. He had her husband killed so that he could be with her. He had a brave friend named Nathan who told him a story saying that, there's a wealthy guy who has a whole bunch of livestock and he wanted to throw a party. And so instead of killing one of his own livestock in order to have food for the party, he, went, he found a poor man who had one little lamb and he took the little lamb from the poor man, killed it so that he could have a party. And King David was livid. He said, that is nasty. That guy must die. That is a terrible situation. And then Nathan looked at him and said, you are that man. You are that man. You are that woman. You are that person gathered at the cross. People say that there is no Easter without the cross. There is no resurrection without 
the death. What that means is that we need to do something that we don't naturally want to do. And that is we need to be open enough and bold enough to admit and to say and to be honest about the fact that we are that person. We have that brokenness in our lives. We have that much of a need for what Jesus offers, what Jesus did on the cross. The cross is the ugly stuff. The cross is the stuff we don't like talking about. We don't like thinking about. We don't like being honest about. But we can't understand Easter. We can't have Easter without the cross. It is an essential part of our journey to the resurrection. People are nasty. And I'm not saying that people are always nasty. Of course not. I mean, you, you, people are great. You are great. You have done great things. I know that Fairfax Church does and has done and will continue to do great things in this city and great things around the world. It's not that people are always nasty. I'm saying that all people are nasty. Those are two different things. And restoration, transformation, healing, spiritual growth, uh, 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 freedom from all of that stuff comes at a high cost. There is a high cost to that. Restoration comes at a high cost. I love the word restoration because I love old cars. I don't know if any of you here like old cars. I love everything about the idea of transforming a jalopy into a restored classic. I love everything about that image, that process. I love going to car shows and, and hearing stories about what people have done, their re-stories about how they have transformed these. I love that whole deal. I love that whole process. In the car world, a car is considered a classic after 25 years. What that means is, is if I'm using this as a metaphor for all of you, the, the, there's, there are no brand new high-tech Teslas with immaculate white interiors here in this room. Brand new people wear diapers. And they're in another room in the church here, that right now. You here in this room, you here watching, uh, participating online, you are not brand new Teslas. If you're under 25 years old, you're still hip and you're still cool, you got a lot of miles left on you. If you're over 25, you're a classic. If you're sitting next to somebody who's over 25, look to them right now and say, you're a classic. Just right now, tell them you're a classic. There you go. And if a classic, if a classic car, classic vehicle, classic person, you got lots of dents, you got lots of miles on you, is gonna be restored, it's gonna take a lot of work. Restoration always comes at a high cost. And when it comes to the restoration of humanity, of, of every human who's ever walked the planet, it comes at a very high cost. The next verse reads, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, leme shamakthana, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then even then, in the next few verses, there's more mockery on what Jesus just said. The last words of Jesus on the cross, there's more mockery until verse 50. 
And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, imagine you're there and you heard that sound. He gave up his spirit. Jesus died a gruesome, humiliating death that separated him from his father. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took on all of that so that you can be restored. When Jesus hung on the cross, that's all he thought about. That's all he cared about. He didn't complain about any of these nasty people who did all these things to him. Didn't mention any of that. All he cared about was you and your heart and your future and your eternity. That's all he cared about. We know elsewhere in the story that when he was being, getting beaten and getting whipped, he said, he said Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing because he cares so much about you. And your restoration, your transformation comes at a high cost. That's the story of Jesus on the cross. That's why he did that. And it comes at a high cost to you. It costs you something. Your restoration costs you something. Now, there are times, wonderful times, where we get to celebrate miracles, where people are restored. They just, they pray, and right on that prayer, there's a miracle that happens, and their addiction or their chemical imbalance or some kind of vice in their life just goes away. That happens. I've seen it happen. It can happen, and I hope it happens for you. Just like in, in, with a car, with an actual car, somebody could buy a $5 raffle ticket and they could get a fully restored car, a classic car. That happens. It can happen. But for most of us, we are wise to start sanding. We are wise to start turning wrenches, to say, okay, I, I would love to have the miracle happen. But what is wise for us to do is what kind of steps can we take on the journey to the resurrection to prepare our hearts for all that Easter offers? We can't experience Easter. We can't experience the whole thing without enduring the, the, the cost. Let me, let me try to explain this a little bit. Um, imagine that on this stage, there's an enormous slingshot. Okay, there's a slingshot that is, that is fastened uh, here on the, on the ground, and then it's fastened up high somewhere. And there's a, there's a rubber tension piece that's connected to that sling, slingshot. And what this slingshot represents is, is, uh, is the potential energy. You know, when you pull back and you create potential energy, it's, it's the strength and the power of the resurrection of the, of the Easter story. Okay, let me, let me explain what I mean by this. If this is where the beginning of the slingshot starts, and you feel like you're nearly perfect, you know, you're, you're right here. You're nearly perfect. There's a little bit of tension on that. You're not perfect, but you're nearly perfect. What that means is that when you pray to confess to God, you have a hard time thinking of anything. You have a, it's really easy to think about what others have done, but maybe it's a little more difficult for you to think, I don't know, I think I've been great the last few years. Then you're right here. And basically what that means is, is there's not much pull on this, this Easter slingshot. And so then when you let it go, it's almost like this, it's a Nerf dart that just kind of flops onto the ground. But if you're honest in your journey to the resurrection to say, hmm, you know, I've got some parts of my life 
that are broken. And in this Lent period, I've been thinking about those parts of my life, and I've been trying to, to do them differently. And maybe you have been had clear of some things over the Lenten period, or maybe you have reduced some of those things over the Lenten period, but you've been honest about that, and you've pulled that back. You've looked at some of the behaviors in your life, some of the ways you use your time and your money, the, ways you, the way you use TV, the things that you watch on TV, things that you watch on your computer, whatever that is. There's some honesty on your part to say, I want to change some of my behaviors if you want to get freedom in some of those areas that have, been, have enslaved you for too long, then that means you're pulling back on this slingshot. Or maybe you're ready to be honest about your role in some of your broken relationships. And so you're ready to just go, okay, as hard as this is, I'm going to pull back even more here for you to say, okay, what really is my role in my marriage right now? And in what way am I not holding my end of the deal? your relationship with your parents or your kids, people at work, friends? Are you ready for God to breathe life into those relationships that you, you, you feel like have been dead for a long time? Are you ready to trust God with, 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 with even being honest about your role in that stuff? Or may, maybe, maybe you wanna pull back a little bit more and it really has nothing to do with what's, what's going on on the outside. It's not about uh, your physical relationships or, or like pe- you know, what people can see and how your relationships with other people or your, uh, your behaviors and all that. It's what's going on on the inside, that there's something you need to be honest about and you're ready to be honest about that, saying, you know what, there's this anger that continues to boil up in me and I hate when it comes up and I want it to go down, but it doesn't, keep, it doesn't go down. There's this jealousy that rages with somebody in my family, somebody at work, and you're, you're, you're ready. You're ready today in your journey to the resurrection. You're ready to say, I, I want something different inside of me. I want to experience the fruit that the Bible talks about. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, goodness. I want, I want to know about those pieces. And you're ready to be honest about that? Then you pull this back. If you're ready in your journey to the resurrection to be ridiculously honest about what's going on on the outside of your life and the inside in your heart, then your experience at Easter doesn't have to be a a, a Nerf dart that just kind of flops to the ground. Your experience of Easter can be this high potential energy piece that when you come back next Sunday, when you celebrate Easter, wham, it is a rocket that takes off as a celebration of who God is, what God has done in your life, what God is currently doing in your life, and what God is going to do in your life next week, in the months to come, in the years to come. That's the celebration of Easter, but that's next week. This week, we have to do something that we naturally don't wanna do. We have to look in the mirror and say, you are that man. You are that woman. You are that person gathered at the cross in desperate need of restoration. How honest are we ready to be right now in our preparation for Easter next week? The the band is gonna come out and lead us in a song. And while they do that, I'd like you to prepare for us to take communion together. 
Hopefully you received one of the little communion cups on the way in. I have used these cups before and they're, they can be nasty to open. <laughs> so I, I would recommend you kind of get it started, kind of, you know, get it set up uh, during the song, get it, kind of get it set up so that you're ready to take communion together. If you're at home, uh, we invite you to participate in communion with us, to go grab a drink, any drink, and grab any kind of cracker, any kind of bread, so that you can participate at home as well. And what I invite you to do during this song is to think about how honest you're willing to be with regard to your life. I, I invite you to just pull the slingshot back, perhaps in areas that you don't like to talk about. It's the ugly stuff on the cross. There is no Easter without the cross. So, so during this song, would you just pull the slingshot back so that we can continue to prepare for the celebration of Easter? We're gonna sing this song together and then we'll take communion um, together. So just hold the, hold the uh, elements. Would you uh, bow your heads and pray with me? Father in heaven, It is hard to imagine what it would, would have been like to be there in that moment when your son hung on the cross. But God, we wanna be honest here as we just think about we're not the perfect ones in that story. We're not the perfect ones in any story. We are certainly not the perfect ones in our own story. And so, God, would you give us boldness and strength, the boldness that Nathan needed to talk to David, the boldness that David needed to receive Nathan's words. God, would you give us boldness to say, I, I don't, I'm not here to pretend that I'm perfect. I, I'm, I'm not here to, to put on a facade, to put on a show. I want healing. I want restoration. I want growth. I want freedom. God, would you... Give us the boldness to be honest so that we can pull that slingshot back and experience all that you have for us. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.